Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. And as you turn there, I just want to give you a, a, not just an announcement, but an encouragement, an exhortation. We are going to get together for our second Convergence Worship Night uh, with Real Life Chapel, and it's going to be on October 13th, which is a Sunday evening. Uh, the last one was phenomenal. Who went to that and would agree with that? It was, yeah, look at that. Phenomenal. Would you, am, I, am I making that up? No, I mean, it was just absolutely amazing time, and I just hope that you would uh, put that on your calendar and say, man, there's some things in my life that I just want to bring to the Lord in worship and, and see the, the bigger church come together. It's just an awesome thing, so please do that. Now, um, this morning, I want to continue on in the Sermon on the Mount, but I, I want to start by review, and so it's going to be a little different, and I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to get up and walk around, and I'm going to see what you know uh, and, and call you out if you're wrong. Uh, so <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. But let's, let's look at the, I'm going to read the first at least uh, 12 verses. Let's just refresh on this, what it's saying to us. Seeing the crowd, he went up the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer for good, good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." So the Beatitudes, what does that mean to you? And there's, I'm not going to say there's any right, right and wrong answer. What, what, what do those first number of verses mean? What do you remember from that? Character traits of, of how we want to be like, right? They're sort of descriptive of what our life should look like. What else? Don't, Okay, so, so now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna like, to push against that a little bit. It's really talking a spiritual blessing because there's nothing wrong with being rich, you know? I know, but I'm saying there's nothing wrong with being poor either, but there is something wrong with being poor in spirit. Oh, excuse me. I said that wrong. There's a right way to be poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, who remembers? Not prideful? Which means I got nothing to bring to the table. I got nothing. I got nothing to bring to the table. 
doesn't mean that I'm not called to do something, but I, I'm poor in and of myself. You know, I can just come in, I bring efforts, and I bring things, but apart from Christ, I can do nothing. When you see that, when you get there, God says you're blessed. That that's a good place. And I want to tell you, as someone who's been experiencing it, it doesn't feel great in the process. I can't be the only one who thinks that. It is not fun to realize that you have nothing to bring to the table and that you are powerless. No, it doesn't mean I can't do things and I'm not called to do things, but there's something about when God strips everything away of the eye in my life. It is painfully good. Okay, so salt and light. What is that? What is that? How we're to be? Yeah? Right? Yep. Yeah, so, you know, we, we wrestled with uh, uh, the salt. The salt can lose its what? Saltiness. It's no good anymore. Man, I felt no good before. I'm like going, well, if God, Jesus says I'm not any good anymore, and I'm just to be trampled on the sand, I give up. Right? And that's not what he's saying. God the Father is the great filterer of salt. He takes out the impurities by exposing them and separating them and, and dealing with them. And so when we have salt and light, it's not because I'm just going around with just, I am just going to bring the presence of God and people are just, it's when we've given up and we carry the light of Jesus and the salt has been filtered. It's like, here it is. I've got nothing to give, but I've got everything to give. I've got everything. So it's not negative. It should be descriptive of what our life is like. Right, And the problem I've ran into with my life is that I constantly, on my effort, have tried to be salt and light, and usually my salt didn't have good flavor, and usually my light was a little diminished by my attitude. I know that doesn't apply to anyone in this room, but for me it does. And so it's like, man, what do I do with that? So, you know, and, and so that's all descriptive. And last week we talked about the prescriptive part. Here's the problem. We have taught grace, and rightly so, so strongly, that we've become a little too comfortable with a holy God. Well, God's going to forgive me. God's going to, and He does. But remember the first 12 verses? Bless, 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 bless. We should be agents of blessing. We carry that blessing. That is the kingdom. We don't wait for heaven to come. We bring heaven here. We are kingdom people. We are supposed to bring kingdom blessings to people around us. But last week we ran into a problem. Us. So let's read a little further. 
Verse 17, do, you, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth is passed away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the, fire, the hell of fire. So if you are offering a gift at the altar and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So what do you remember about anger? I'm sorry. It hurts the one who has it. We, when we're angry, we haven't forgiven somebody, it's hurting us, right? It just rages inside of us. What else about anger? Say no freedom in anger, right? Yeah, it's, it's like being in Mayberry, and except for Otis, when he goes in and puts himself in the lock, there are no keys to unlock that, except for forgiveness. You can't just go in and out of it, and anger hinders the kingdom. It hinders the kingdom. So this week, we saw... A young lady from um, the, the Nordic countries, talk, she was angry, and I'm not getting into the right and wrong, I'm not in the, on the this side or that side, if you, if you get in your head here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a little descriptive of us. She showed some anger at some things about, um, you know, just sort of the, the taking care of the earth and stuff, and the response to her anger by many was more anger. So it's like whether it's politics or, or environmentalism, everything like that, it's like someone flares up, we go, they're angry, and we're angry saying they're angry. And we just rages within us. It rages. And Jesus did not come that we would be a bunch of angry people. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're to bring truth and life into things. We're to walk in the kingdom. But when we're angry, everyone can see it, and it comes out. I used to think I could hide it. Well, I can conceal that little bit of anger, right? I can just, it can seethe inside, but inside... It rages. Some of you know exactly what I mean. 
just rages inside. And you might go, no, Eric, I'm not an angry person. But sometimes you're not angry outwardly, but you're angry inwardly, and you take it all inside, and it devastates your innards. People get sick about anger. They get sick about unforgiveness. They're sickness by these things. Your insides are just torn up. The other thing about anger, and and, uh, Dallas Willard talks about this a lot, is that there is an anger that leads to contempt. Have you ever seen somebody look at you with contempt? If you've been the recipient of that, you have received pain. One of the issues growing up with my stepfather was he constantly looked at me with contempt. I didn't know how to verbalize it. I, didn't, you know, I thought maybe it was anger at first, but really it was contempt. It was almost like, why are you here? And when anger gets to contempt... Everyone, it is a cancer, and everyone feels it around you, and you become one of those untouchables. Don't poke that person because they will go off on you. And you know exactly who those people are. So anger is this thing that Jesus says you have to deal with. It is probably, look at our world, probably the number one thing. Jesus names it. It's prescriptive for us. So if you're angry and you're not a part of the king and you want to be a part of the kingdom, it's hindering your effectiveness. The blessing is Jesus says, I've come to give you peace. You shall be blessed if you're a peacemaker. So if you're angry this morning, I want to say, look, there is blessings for you to be had by being a peacemaker, by being a reconciler, by being one that's quick to forgive. Jesus is ready to unload blessings on you. It's not a woe with me, I'm getting eaten up this morning. It's like, no, there's freedom here and I'm here to promise it. That's what kingdom people walk in. They walk in that freedom. So we talked also about the gospel of sin management, where we use the Bible to manage our sin. We talked about three kingdoms. What are the three kingdoms? One is what? Kingdom of Satan, right? The, the demonic work, two. Kingdom of self, then the kingdom of God, right? We have to always, it doesn't matter which one's which, but we always have to ask ourselves, which one are we walking in? If you are angry, you're not walking in the kingdom of God unless you're angry about the, 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 the pain in the world and you're just sad and anger at what Satan is doing. But if you're just angry because someone is saying something's different from you, you're not in the kingdom of God. You're not walking in freedom. I think there's a lot of people in the town jail trapped by anger. Dallas Willard says, we forgive someone of a wrong they have done us when we decide that we will not make them suffer for it in any way. How do you know you've truly forgiven? 
I no longer look with contempt anymore. The hurt's been righted. God has sealed that and forgiven, and I've walked in grace. I've walked in mercy. I've become a peacemaker. God's going to bless that. That's how you can know if you're walking in the freedom of forgiveness. Does that check keep coming up in your head? Well, that person, I can't trust them. And I'm not saying that there's some realistic view to that. But if it's someone you've walked in, you said you've forgiven, and you still have that feeling, you might have to question whether you've really forgiven them or not, if there's been reconciliation. And I'm not the Holy Spirit. That's between you and God. You have to walk that. Now, what I'm not saying is, like, there's, I, I always feel like I have to say this, that there are some people that are dangerous to be around. I'm not saying you don't have to separate. There are some cases where that's the case certainly is, is good. Now let's look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus was getting at heart level, not just at adultery level. You'll see the headings here. He wasn't talking just about the act of adultery. He was going so much deeper. So let's talk about lust. Exciting, right? Let's narrow it down to porn. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visit lasts six minutes and 29 seconds. There are around 42 million porn websites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. The porn industry annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. It also has more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. These are all Barna statistics, by the way. These are all researched out. These aren't something I just grabbed real quick. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. And 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 7.56% of American divorce, divorces involve one party having an uh, obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the past 12 months. 9.6% of church-going men... Wait a minute. Actually, I'm afraid I might have cut off a number, but I'm going to go with it. 9.68% church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. It's flipped? Yeah. Something's, something's wrong with how it copied over. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. Porn. 
I see what I did. It was 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors. That's what it was. 59% of pastors said that married men seek them for help for porn use. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they have never watched porn. 87% of Christian women have watched it. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation, while 69% say that porn has adversely impacted their church. To say that porn is outside of these doors would be a lie right now. Statistically speaking, impossible. Going on and watching some movies, whether it's uh, 150,000 Shades of Grey or, glad you got that joke, huh? But you shouldn't have known that that was a joke because you shouldn't have known that I was talking about anything. When we talk about porn, we often think it's a man problem. It is a man problem. It's a man and a woman problem. Women typically tend to do more fantasizing over what things could be and the romantic intent of stuff while men tend to be more direct. But it's all seeking after something outside of the marriage which God intended to be a blessing and it's looking outside of. And Jesus said it's one of the biggest problems. So what does that mean? Listen to what Dallas Willard says. One of the greatest weaknesses in our teaching and leadership today is that we spend so much time trying to get people to do things good people are supposed to do without changing what they really believe. If you really believe that anger was bad for you, you would do something about it. If you really believe that lust in all shapes or forms was bad, you would do something about it. There are too many marriages that don't have a romantic relationship because anger has gotten in the way and created the divide and they go years without being intimate together. Whether it's due to lust and and invasiveness of other things or it's due to anger that separates that marriages become the fall apart. And I'm talking within the church. Ravi Zacharias says, I have little doubt that the single greatest obstacle to the impact of the gospel has not been its inability to provide answers, but the failure on our part to live it out. Said simply, if you are an angry person, 
and you are a lustful person, either both and, there is little chance you're going to feel fulfilled in being in a church environment, in a worship setting, in a, in a chance to be out. You're, you're not going to feel like much salt and light. And what will tend to happen is you will tend to push away from the body of Christ because it brings conviction. And you get angry about it. And I'm saying you as we, just general, please don't think I'm. So Dallas Willard in his book, Divine Conspiracy, brings out this term. It's called diakasune. It's to know and to do the right thing. It's the Greek word for righteousness. Diakasune. And so we talk about having the righteousness of Christ, do we not? Got the righteousness of Christ. I've got the imputed righteousness of Christ. Man, we're back to justification. Amen and amen. I have been declared justified before God, just as if I'd never sinned. Man, I'm going to nail that to the door in in, uh, Germany. I'm going to be just like Luther. But diakasune has two different meanings. It's to it is obviously still the righteousness of God is imputed upon us, but it's also our ability to know and do the right thing. Be nice to that kid. So I'm going to change some words. I'm going to take righteousness out, and I want you to look at this. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the ability to know and do what is right. We know the verse, right? Blessed are those who uh, pursue righteousness for, or hunger and thirst after righteousness for, for they shall be fill, filled, right? So think about it. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for the ability to know and do what is right. That's a little different feel, isn't it? We can all cling to that justification of, you know, man, I'm, sancti- I'm justified, God's done a work in me. I thank God for it, but that's not the fullness of the word. It's to know what's right and to do it. To know what's right and to do it. Philippians 3, 9. Not having virtue on my own derived from trying to keep the law, but a virtue which comes through faith in Christ, the ability to know and to do what is right, which comes from God on the basis of faith. to know and do what's right. We, we say we want righteousness, right? It's knowing and doing what is right. It's 100% man, 100% God. God is, God is always doing his part. But we're called to a piece of this, a big piece. And that, in a simple word, it's obedience. It's going to be hard for you to see the next graph. Yeah, probably impossible. So I'll have to, I'll have to explain to you. Dakasune. I'm going to give you, this is what Dallas Willard unfolds. He gives us the old, and so here it has a situation, the first one. Then the second one, it has the old diakasune. It's what the scribes and Pharisees went after, the Pharisees. And then the kingdom one, what Jesus pushed. So the first one, irritation with one's associates. Old ways, old righteousness ways is, hey, don't murder anybody. Check. All right, we talked about that last week. That's good. I'm glad you haven't murdered anybody. But Jesus says an intense, uh, it changes the kingdom to an intense desire to be of help. 
No anger or contempt. The Pharisee says don't murder. Jesus said you'd be a light. You'd be salt in that situation. Second one, sexual attraction. When I was in, high, in college, Josh McDowell, and the, the, the dude trips me out with him wearing stuff that looked like he's, like he's a teenager now, but I won't get into that. But he had a book called Why Wait? And that became the whole mantra. And, we, and, and at Liberty University, we used to joke about it. Yeah, why wait? Right? It's sort of about sexual, you know, sort of like, and so people drew a line and were sort of like, well, as long as you don't have intercourse, you're good. So that's the old way. Jesus' kingdom is no cultivation of lust. Hear that word cultivation? It's one thing to see something or to see someone and go, okay, yeah. (laughs) But what you do with that is a totally different thing. I have been with guys far too many times, especially in the military, that will just go around who are married and we'll go around and like, man, and they'll start talking about and they'll start fantasizing about. Some of them are Christians. And their answer to me was, as long as you look but don't touch. That's old diakasune. The next one we're going to go into, I'm not going to read them all, but it's the old one is uh, you become unhappy with your marriage partner. The Pharisees' ways was if you want a divorce, give them the pink slip. Give them a certificate of divorce. Jesus said no divorce, and then practice. And we're going to unpack that a bit. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. What does that mean? It doesn't mean what the, uh, some of the old monks did where they sort of extracted themselves from every living and one person was known in the third century to literally cut off uh, their foot to show their affection for Christ. Don't encourage that. Continues, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better than you lose one of your members, than your whole body go to hell. What does it mean? Simply put, if your eye causes you to sin, don't look. If your foot causes you to sin, don't go. And if your hand causes you to sin, don't do it. Know yourself. There are some people in this room, I can talk to you about anger all day long, and you might be like, man, I don't know who you're talking about. My life is peachy. And maybe you've attained that thing, and you're really good, but if it sways over and then all of a sudden lust comes, you might have a problem. There are some people in here who can do certain things and others who can't. We all have things that we're we're more um, likely to go towards. You need to know what your weakness is and be able to turn away from it. So verse 31, it is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What does that mean? 
in the time that Jesus was speaking, women were incredibly second-class citizens. Were, that's not the best term, but they were second-class citizens at best. And what men would do to control them, they had whoever they wanted to listen to. It's no different in pastors these days. You're going to listen to whatever makes you, justifies your sin. It's a temptation, right? So in the old days, they had some rabbis who would say that if you got married and your wife burned your meal, that you could write a certificate of divorce. I think probably three times maybe I could have divorced you, honey, in that way. But the certificate of divorce wasn't a thing to where Jesus was like, yeah, just do it. It was created to help women. So here's, what, here's why. When a woman in those days were, were divorced, their husband could just say, get out of my house. You burned my meal. It's ridiculous. Not, I hope you don't hear any support for that. But... The woman would have no means of caring for herself, and she would go out, and unless a family member took her in, unless she was one of the few that could find a job to support herself, she was probably relinquished to be a prostitute. So Jesus was like taking care of, look at all these women he cared for, Mary Magdalene, all stuff. Jesus was taking care of these people. And, it, and it's often said, people look at the Sermon on the Mount and say Jesus is for divorce, but Jesus always talked about marriage in a high, high regard, and he always spoke about reconciliation. The church historically in my lifetime has done a horrific job with divorced people. Some of you, there might be some people that even come today because they knew they were coming on this passage and just didn't want to feel like the worst of sinners. And that just breaks my heart. Jesus wanted to overturn the quick divorce thing, which we are now seeing is just coming right back, right? Get a divorce for anything now. What's the term now on the divorce form? Uh, irreconcilable differences. She burned my meal and I don't like it. So we couldn't reconcile. That's not even funny. Because people do not deal with their anger they don't deal with their lust. They find themselves in a marriage where they haven't been reconciled with all that stuff inside their heart, and they think that getting out is the answer. John Stott says that when people come to him about getting a divorce and what his views are, he said that I first want to talk about my view on marriage and my view on reconciliation. Dallas Willard spoke about knowing a young lady or a lady who got married to a guy who was in those days hiding his homosexuality by getting married. And once he consummated his marriage, that was the only time 
that, that they had uh, intimacy in their marriage and he would bring over boyfriends in the house and have sex in their family room. And if you look and you go, and his thing was like, I had such a simplistic view of divorce that I was, when people would say, he's like, it's always the last off. You should never get divorced. God hates divorce. Never do it. And this lady was dying in her marriage. He's like, there's something here that needs to be sensed out. There's kingdom here somewhere. That whole term for adultery doesn't just mean uh, having sex with someone else. It's all the the, uh, perverted ways of being sort of a deviant sexually. And I'm, I'm talking about all kinds, not just ones we're comfortable with being against. Jesus wanted us to bring the kingdom in. If you have had a divorce and you have been reconciled with God on that, that is forgiven if you're remarried. You're called to live that out like it's your first marriage, learning and following the principles of God so your marriage will be blessed, period. But you also got to make sure there's no anger in your heart from what happened. Remember, it's cumulative. I know I'm preaching long, but this is important. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed. Jesus saying, this is your blessing you're to have. And we're going, no, thank you. The world's way is better. I want to be angry. Because my wife pissed me off. Sorry, that's probably the best term. sits in there and it rages and that rage might turn to looking elsewhere or you're a lady and all that anger and all that separation is coming there's no intimacy and you're just like you start looking at other things you start looking I hate to pick on soap operas just comes to my head you look on these things that give this oh that really looks great the grass is always greener right this guy is a hunk as he's portrayed. And whoo! But the fantasizing comes in and you dwell on it and it creates separation. The last part, quite literally, just talks about your yes be yes and your no be no. Simply, what does that mean? When someone comes to you and says, are you going to be somewhere You don't go, yes, I'm going to stand on by God's authority. I will be there. Or I swear by my mother, father, firstborn child, let your yes and your no be no. Church, if you have anger and you have lust in your life, you will not be salt and light as Jesus describes. The light will be hidden under a bushel and the salt will be worthless and trampled upon. And you will question your faith. I don't want that for us. I want us to walk so boldly into our situations that it's like, hey, God brought me here. I have authority over this, not because I'm strong, but because he is. 
That means if I have an opportunity to reconcile, I'm going to go into it gladly because Jesus said I'm going to be blessed for it. If I have an opportunity to be merciful, I'm going to do it because Jesus said I'm going to be blessed for it. If I have an opportunity to turn from lust and anger and have an opportunity to do, I'm going to do it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send at least one document out via our email with Donna this week. This document will deal about reconciliation, how we're to deal with some of the anger in our hearts. It's a very practical exercise. If we don't work out the things that we are talking about, we'll never live it out, right? So we need to work it out. So when you get that email, it's up to you. There's anger in your heart. We're going to start there. Just going to send one thing. If there's something that you need to work on, do work. I promise you God will bless you for it. Would you please stand? So last week it was rather somber in here as people were wrestling with who they needed to reconcile with. This week, I want to encourage you that if you are struggling with lust in your life in a certain way, that you probably aren't going to be able to fix it on your own by making up, you know, little markers to what might help you, that you probably need someone to help you. I just want to say my brother over here in the blue shirt, his name's Dr. Rob. Um, If you're struggling in that area, or if you're struggling with something else, go go to him so people won't be like, oh, I know what they're struggling with. Like, I'm just going to walk. But... Go to somebody and go, man, I am struggling with this. And I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. Jesus has promised blessing. Jesus has promised salt and light. Let us eagerly go to the table and say yes to Jesus. Lord, as we come, Lord, we thank you for the, the bread and the cup. Lord, which are not only symbolic of the justified righteousness that we have that you imputed to us but it also gives us life to live tomorrow in a righteous way to know and to do good lord help us to do that today as we come to the table in jesus name amen